You have located Geekfest Rants, the entertainment podcast for genre geeks like you. Shall we play a game? Covering the world of vintage and current film and television since 2010. Game over, man. Game over. Featuring in-depth conversations on sci-fi, horror, fantasy, comics, toys, and conventions. So say we all. So say we all. And now sit back, relax, and enjoy today's show. Before the people of the world, let it now be noted that here in our decision, this is what we stand for. Justice, truth, and the value of a single human being. Where were we? Where were we when Hitler began shrieking his hate and Reichstag? Where were we when our neighbors were being dragged out in the middle of the night to Dachau? Where were we when they cried out in the night to us? Were we deaf? I'm gonna go the limit. And not you, not the Pentagon, not God on his throne is gonna make you you think you're talking to. Who the hell do you think you're talking to? My husband was a military man all his life. He was entitled to a soldier's death. He asked for that, that he should be permitted the dignity of a firing squad. You know what happened. He was hanged with the others. It is easy to condemn the German people to speak of the basic flaw in the German character that allowed Hitler to rise to power, but at the same time, comfortably ignore the basic flaw of character that made the Russian sign pacts with him, Winston Churchill praise him, American desolates profit by him. There was nothing like you were trying to make it sound. Did you sit on his lap? Stop it! What else do you admit to, Mrs. Fowler? What else? Hello? I want that you tell me, was she feeble-minded? My mother! I feel it is my duty to point out to the tribunal that the witness is not in control of his mental processes. I know I am not. Since that day. I've been! Hi everybody and welcome once again to GeekFest Rants. My name is Carlos Perone and today we have, and let me be very clear, a very, very political show. We are going to talk about films that you should watch before this upcoming election. We've done something like this before. We're doing it again. I got a whole new badge of films, classic films, more modern films. But nonetheless, these are movies that seem to resonate with me with this coming election. And just as I warned you guys a couple times in the past... This is going to be not only a very spoilery kind of show, because the movies we're going to talk about, you know, we're going to talk about them in very much uh, precise detail as to some of the most important parts of the movie. But if you don't like political issues, if you don't want to get political, this is the show you should avoid. (laughs) Skip this show, go to the next show, because 
it's really, really impossible to not talk about the topics that these movies represent and the topics that these movies address as I compare them to what is happening politically right now. So let's get started with films you should see before this upcoming election. What did I teach you? You are the Duke of New York. You are a number one. You will not laugh. You will not cry. You will learn by the numbers. I will teach you. Can you dig it? Open the pod bay doors, Hal. I'm sorry, Dave. I'm afraid I can't do that. That spawn of Satan. <laughs> oh, really? The Force will be with you, always. Four years ago, we did a show about films you might want to see before the election. And this was a different time because this was a period where these films, I saw them as more of a warning in terms of what could happen if the election went a certain way, which it did. And I pretty much feel that a lot of the events that have occurred over the last four years pretty much mimic a lot of the stuff uh, that was covered in those films that I mentioned. And before we get into the new films that I want to talk about, let's go over a little bit of which were the ones that I mentioned last time that, just as always, continue to apply. Idiocracy. Idiocracy is a comedy about the stupidity or the dumbing down of a media-fed, comfort-seeking, basically stupidity-riddled nation, basically, that people get so lazy and stupid about stuff that they allow these cartoon character-like personalities to infiltrate their lives and just completely give up all sense of logic. The movie is very funny. And it was obviously it's a satire, but it's like, this is what could happen. And you're like, yeah, that's really funny. You know, the movie came out a long time ago. And it actually, you know, nowadays it makes so much sense that these things could happen. And people are so unbelievably stupid that are willing to believe anything, no matter how ridiculous it is. And I mean, it's not only did it happen before the election, leading to the election, it's been happening for the last four years. It continues to happen now as we ramp up even more of the crazy craziness leading up to the election. And I granted, with this movie, it's funny. It's satirical. The, the character who is president at the time, President Camacho, is such a bombastic, ridiculous version of a, of a president. He is basically a wrestling television star in wrestling mode, in wrestling attire, who talks like a, basically a wrestler. It's You cannot, you do, but you cannot make this stuff up anymore. And which is what we have now. We have somebody who speaks to his supporters as if he's a character. Like, he's not a person anymore. He's a character, and they cheer him 
like they do on a sporting event, as a wrestling event, as a rock star kind of admiration, a fanatical, we don't care what you say, we will go with it type of attitude. But in this particular case, it was supposed to be a comedy. That's that's the, one of the crazy parts about it. Another movie was Bob Roberts, which... Again, you're dealing with more of a, I guess you can call it a black comedy at this point, because it's comedic as to how a, an individual kind of flips the script and uses the, the tropes of a liberal candidate, but applies them to a conservative message and how people are easily duped by it. The idea of, you know, Having two completely separate kind of candidates with political ideologies, one of them being liberal in terms of it's a people-based, popular-based, middle-class-based, lower-class-based leaning, you know, trying to help out most of those people as opposed to trying to help out most of the rich people. The typical tropes of liberalism, let's say, as opposed to a conservative politician who is more pro-wealthy rich, who aligns themselves with sometimes religious factions to get some more conservative votes, who aligns themselves with some of the French more right-wing movements of the time. And in this film, how this one conservative character does the opposite. He runs the opposite campaign to try to appeal, to try to pretend, to try to come off as that man of the people. I'm here for you. I'm here to help you, the masses, when in reality, he's he's doing the opposite. He's do, I mean, he's running as a pretend <laughs> liberal in terms of the way that he delivers his message, but the reality of it is that it's not. And again, that's nothing new because that's how people run. Everybody claims to be representing regular people, when in reality, that's not how it works. No matter how you slice it, when, you know, after a couple of years of where a politician goes, you get to see how they vote. You see, you get to see what kind of laws come out of them and that sort of thing. And yeah, there are some that lean more towards appeasing the wealthiest in the country, appeasing the ones that give them the most finance, you know, uh, donations for their, for their next political endeavors. And then you see the ones that you look at their voting record, and no, they are actually trying to do something for ordinary people, the majority of the country, as opposed to the you know the top tier, the top uh, the the one percent you know cream of the crop type of individuals. But Bob Roberts, a very good movie because again, it's a black comedy, but it has a very serious serious edge to it that is very typical with a black comedy where. You get to a point where it almost becomes, I don't want to say a horror film, but a, uh, a very serious, dramatic piece. Network. Network was another wonderful film. It will remain always one of these films that when you get to the bottom of the barrel of what is behind everything, what is behind politics, what is behind the decisions that are made uh, that affect your life by people in power... I would say most of the time, the bottom line ends up being money. So 
with a movie like Network, which could be considered a, a dark comedy, I guess you could kind of consider it that, but I would say it's more like a, it's like a satirical drama that is a little bit of a dark comedy because it is so serious, but it is to the point where some of these characters are, they're, they're, they're funny. The things that they're saying are shockingly funny, but real. They're so real. You have on one hand a TV anchorman who kind of loses his mind. And in his nuttiness, people react to his outrageousness. At first, people react to his real talk. The way that he delivers the lines, the way that he kind of tells it how it is. He taps into what people are feeling. And it's a, a complete loss of control type of feeling. People that are just fed up and they just cannot stand anymore the way things work. And they just want to throw it all out the window. So you have this character interacting now with a television station, a news division, if you will, that at first, you know, they were ready to fire this guy. And then because of the fact that all of a sudden people want to hear him, they're seeing the dollars. They're seeing the advertising. And where normally they wouldn't even pay two minutes of attention to this individual, now they have to go with him and go in what direction he's going because he's so nuts and bringing in the money. That's the thing. He's bringing in the money. The advertiser and the money is coming in. But what happens in this is that the guy goes so out over the top that it just gets to a point where they cannot continue to play his game, even though they are playing his game. But you see the behind the scenes of who are they really answering to? Who is it that this particular television company, is it the shareholders? Is it the ratings? Is it the conglomerates from other countries that own the company, you know, you get to to see where the root of all of these decisions being made come from and what is it that motivates them. Again, this brings us back to the money issue. It's all about money. It's always about money. Do the right thing. Well, do the right thing. We talked about it last time. We talked about it four years ago. We talked about it very recently when we were talking about Films that are very <laughs> in our minds with recent events. Do the Right Thing continues to apply and will continue to apply whenever you have these injustices take place and the natural reaction that people have when it comes to these things. Historically, this is what happens. This is the pattern of events. Historically, this is how it works. You do something as a society or as a government to upset a certain group of people or a lot of people or all the people. <laughs> it could happen in any shape or form. And you will get a reaction out of those people. When normally society will tell you or the law will tell you or the norms will tell you, well, there are political means, there are channels for you to address these issues. Well, after years and years and decades and decades and in some terms, centuries could go by and these things don't get addressed, you will have the riot. You will have that. It will happen. It is guaranteed. It, was always, it always happened. It will keep happening. That's just how things work. 
you do not address an issue, you're going to get an explosion of anger. And it could be something as simple as a small argument that balloons and explodes into a full-blown riot, you know, or it could be a political movement that ends up, you know, dethroning a, a dictator or a fascist or something like that. It, it will happen. It's just, that's just how it works. But that's, yeah, that's, that's one that can continue to, to come in and kind of repeat itself many times. Then you have Mr. Smith goes to Washington. I believe that's one of the ones uh, Zeke uh, recommended for, because uh, that, you know, when we did that show, uh, it was me and Zeke. And uh, again, that's, that's a very typical idealistic view of how government works. And then, you know, you're taught that this is how things work. And as a child in school, this is how things function and this and that. But then you get smacked in the face with the reality of all of the dealing and wheeling and backroom deals and all of the ugliness, you know, the, 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 the term that I like to use a lot of times is how the sausage is made. It's very ugly. And it's the type of thing that will, a lot of people, they will just turn them off to the whole process. You know, they do say, if you knew exactly how your food was manufactured, especially uh, things like meat, any kind of meat products and stuff like that, when you went through the whole process and you witnessed it, from the slaughtering of the animal to the cutting up of the animal, the packaging of the animal, you would probably not be that interested in, you know, in eating some of that stuff because the, the process is really ugly. It's the end product that you care about. You want to see that. And in politics, is the same thing. You like to see your politician, your president, your congressman, your senator, whatever, uh, you know, signing that bill to make things happen. But in order to get that to happen, you know, you, you don't know or you forget how many people died to make that happen. How many people had to make these deals that were practically either blackmailing or bribing each other into agreeing to do something? The negotiation is like anything. It's nothing like what you imagine it would be. It's it's just something that will turn you off to politics completely. And that movie is about that whole shock of, oh man, that's how this works? This is not how it should work. And the last film that we talked about last time was A Face in the Crowd. And out of all of those films, to me, that was the most poignant one of things to come. In terms of, and this is a movie that I had never heard of. The rest of these movies I had grown up with and I have seen, and I was very familiar with the themes. But A Face in the Crowd, I don't remember exactly how I heard of it. It might have been, I wonder if Zeke was the one who recommended it. But it's an old black and white movie with Andy Griffin, and he plays a, he's like a musician, and he's kind of like a grifter, and he's a, a little bit of a con man, and he somehow worms his way into, into politics. He becomes very popular, and he tells it like it is, and he puts on this southern charm that, you know, this, this act that he kind of lays it on thick and people just fall for it and love it. And he gets to a point where he is becoming a political figure now. He's becoming a political figure. He has a television show that lets him deliver his message to the masses. And he is just a complete wreck of an individual. He is rude. He's irresponsible. He's 
everything you can think of uh, of a disgusting human being but when he's on air he comes off as this charming you know southern uncle kind of guy and how uh, towards the end of the film people have they're just so fed up with him. some of the closest people to him are so fed up with him that they they kind of do some technical uh, thing uh, on the television station where all of a sudden they turn on his microphone and he's there talking about how much he hates all of his supporters and all the people that he's claiming to be representing and all that stuff. And it kind of turns the tables on him and everybody sees him for what he is. It's, again, it's the, the emperor has no clothes type of thing where all of a sudden people wake up because the words are coming out of his mouth. Forget what people are saying behind his back, but they hear it from his own mouth. What a disgusting human being he is. And that is kind of like the message and the point of, again, I, Andy Griffith, I mean, good Lord, you would, I couldn't imagine seeing him in a role like this because it's like, oh my God, it's like Andy Griffin is like supposed to be the nicest guy in the world as far as what you might be used to seeing him. But that was four years ago. And four years ago, to me, that was kind of like a warning of trying to project to people, this is what I thought we were heading towards. And based on the reputation of that individual that is in office right now, that a lot of us had from up north, people that come from New York and, and they were used to his shenanigans and were used to his way of doing things and what a media whore that he really was in terms of, again, I, I always kept saying that he reminded me of Gotti because Gotti was the dapper Don. He was a basically a criminal. And this happens to, it's happened traditionally. I forget the name of the, the original uh, gangster that was kind of like this, but it was a gangster that loved to be on the newspapers and the headlines and television. He loved the entertainment world and he loved to be admired, fawned over. And that's what he reminded me all the time. And he still reminds me of that guy. The, the guy that he's there ripping people off, running all kinds of shady deals, but he's not that smart that he would kind of do it on the sly and quietly. He does it out in the open and has not gotten caught yet. So sooner or later, he gets everybody's attention and everybody is watching him and everybody is looking out because they're like, this guy is just ripping everyone off. We have to kind of put an end to this. He loved the limelight. So eventually that's what did him in. And that's kind of what a lot of people would say, yeah, that's kind of what he is. He's a he's a con man. He's a used car salesman, except he's dealing in hotels and golf courses. He's uh, destroying, you know, taking them, destroying them, moving on to the next thing, and just continually moving on to the next thing. Well, I would say just about everything that was covered in those other films has more or less taken place, as far as I'm concerned. Every conceivable trope, every conceivable disgusting, unacceptable, cheating, lying. Oh my God, it's just a nonstop assault on those things. So this time around, you kind of figure, well, you know what? The things that we were warning people about, the things that we were afraid could happen, we're in them right now. So I tried to look for a couple of more films that would kind of up the ante a little bit in terms of saying, well, you've gotten a taste of this. You've gotten a taste of what this is like. 
you know, we are in fascist dictator kind of territory now. We're not full blown in it. You know, I, I honestly don't think people have gotten the full treatment. They got a taste, just a taste, a four year taste. Um, they haven't gone the route yet, which could be we could be going in the route of disappearances, executions, militias in the streets, shutting down the press, uniformed uh, civilians, a youth corps, <laughs> you know, that kind of nutty, full-blown uh, fascism and, 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 and activity that you do see, we have seen in in previous countries, and not just third world nations, not just banana republics, but very modern, very civilized countries like Germany, you could have a repeat of that. So the first movie I want to bring up is The Manchurian Candidate. I had forgotten about this movie, and I, it's funny because a, a friend of mine suggested it out of the blue, nothing to do with, with the show, obviously. You know, he wouldn't touch this particular topic with a 10-foot pole. But the more I thought about it, the more it was like, yeah, you know why There is a connection here. So I watched the movie last night, and yeah, granted, the movie is about a prisoner that is brainwashed into assassinating a prominent politician. And in the course of this film, you, you, it's a thriller. So it's, 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 it's more like a whodunit or how done it or how will it be done <laughs> it, if you will. It is an amazing film. Amazing. The acting is superb. Lawrence Harvey, Frank Sinatra, Angela Lansbury. Oh my God. You, uh, it's Academy Award material through and through. And the way that I think it would apply to what's going on now is not so much in the conspiratorial part of the mechanics of how a person gets to power. In The Manchurian Candidate, at least the original one I'm talking about, not the not the newer one that they made, but the original one, it's all about a plan to get a foreign agent who is getting somebody into power. There are so many layers in the film because what's happening in the film really is... The ultimate plan is to get somebody into office. The person who's getting into office is running as a super right winger, a McCarthy type of right winger. But the flip side of that is that the person that's controlling the right winger is secretly a communist asset, the wife of the right winger. So the twists and turns that you get through the film are fantastic. The fact that the mechanism to get him into power, to get somebody to do something in order for that happens, doesn't apply to what's going on now. What applies to it is the fact that if this film went through its paces, if the mission succeeded, what you would have in office is an individual who would be president, most likely, and would be controlled by the Soviets or the Chinese. That is the plan, and that is what they're trying to achieve. And, you know, it's a film that you could kind of say it has sort of a happy ending in terms of the good guys win. A lot of good guys die in the process, but the good guys do win. However, if this film went the other way, you could kind of say this is what we're dealing with now. We're dealing with somebody who is bending over backwards for reasons that are unknown at the time. The most likely scenario has to do with money. Uh, that he owes so much money to the Russians that he is willing to look the other way on certain things. 
the other theory is that he's being blackmailed, that the Russians have something on him, and that that is the motivating factor of him, again, looking the other way of all the things the Russians are doing and just defending them, like almost like defending a family member. It's ridiculous. People cannot wrap their mind around it. And the one of the biggest concerns people have now is that if he were to lose the election, would he be the type of person that would then sell some of the secrets, some of the things that he's learned over the last couple of years to Russian assets just to get money? Because it's a fact that this guy owes a ton of money. I mean, millions and millions of dollars that he owes to some mysterious characters that he has to eventually pay up. They were saying at one point it was probably around 400, but now they're saying it could be closer to a billion, which again, follows the normal trajectory of him completely bankrupting whatever endeavor he goes after and then trying to climb his way out of it somehow. He's got to get that cash to come out of somewhere. And information is valuable, especially when you're allowed to be president. There are so many things you could sell. I mean, granted, of course you could be thrown in jail for selling that sort of information, but would it be beyond an individual to do such a thing? This guy, no. I think he would do it to save his own skin. So that's one. That's a really good one. The other movie I would recommend is Jim Jones and the Temple. Now, this one is a documentary about the events of Jonestown with the infamous Jim Jones. And it takes you through the beginning of how he was raised and how he started his religious groups, religious sects. And what's interesting about this documentary is that little by little, it starts to tell you about these little red flags, you could call them, little yellow flags that turn into red flags of how things start to go a little bit sideways. On the one hand, the facade or the the goal of the group was very noble, if you will, a very open society, very racially inclusive group. People seem to be really enjoying themselves and living together with a common goal. The group was somewhat of a powerful group. They show you how they were brought into certain other causes. People would tap into their group to come help them in demonstrations or support or whatever kind of, you know, situations. But they also show you how the group had to move from location to location because they kind of outgrow their area or the area doesn't work anymore. And along the way, you start to see all these little things that start to happen. And one of the things that starts to pop up as they're going from place to place is that certain people start to talk about how they're not allowed to leave, that they're being kept in the group and not encouraged to leave and encourage them to kind of separate themselves from the family, doing this thing that you do hear about many times when it comes to religious groups where they're asked to contribute all their money and all their belongings to the church where you give everything to the church and then you live off of the church. It's, you know, you start to go down that rabbit hole. And I've heard of things like this before, where people are asked to do something like that. Uh, And that's when it starts to get a little creepy. Well, this one gets very creepy, very fast, you know, towards the end. Because they are starting to get investigated about people that are quitting and people that want to leave and some strange sexual shenanigans going on behind closed doors. 
So you're definitely going from a religious group to a religious sect to cult territory. You're dealing now with an individual who is not just preaching, but he is now becoming the leader and the the proclaimed God almost of what is happening with that group. And when they finally do move out to somewhere in the Guianas, they buy some land and they start their own town and they fly everybody over there kind of fast because there are stories popping up on the news about them, about people not being allowed to leave and that sort of thing. So boom, they all fly out there and they start over, you know, in this new area in a different country. You know, it, you, the government no longer has the ability to kind of reach in there as much as they would before to see what was going on. And then you get to the point where because of the complaints, because of the ongoing investigations, I guess, they sent out a delegation of a congressman uh, and a couple of news reporters and to kind of do a story. The, the news will do a, a news profile. You know, they'll, they'll, they'll film some stuff and do some interviews. And the congressman on behalf of the country will then go and, um, you know, talk to them and see what's going on as a, a like an official envoy of the, of the government. So what's really, really interesting, and I, I, I didn't really remember this part of the story. When you think of Jonestown, that's where the whole drinking the Kool-Aid concept came about. And in the story, they talk about how even before they got to Jonestown, there was a point or there was a time, not in the beginning, but kind of in the middle when things were starting to get a little dicey, where apparently, allegedly, Jones gave everybody a Kool-Aid in the church in America. And people drank it. And he said, this is going to be uh, something that's going to bring you to the next level, the next place, whatever. And he was just kidding. It's not. It's just Kool-Aid. Don't worry about it. Everything's fine. And it was kind of like a, it was almost a, you got the feeling that it was kind of like a, a test, uh, a trial balloon, if you will, a test to see how many people would actually drink it. I'm not going to do anything crazy, but I just want to know how many of my people would do that. Anyway, you fast forward to this convoy, this group coming in to, to talk to them, and they're talking to them, and everybody seems to be having a good time in terms of people are reacting the, the, the right way. Even the, the congressman, after uh, talking to a lot of the people there, gives a speech about how happy he is with what he's seen and how everybody seems to be enjoying themselves and being there voluntarily and this and that. But what they didn't realize is that somebody tried to pass a note to one of the visitors. And I believe that person got caught passing the note or was witness passing the note. So the following day, there's a lot of chatter going on because that note finally gets passed. And then the television people are actually able to interview some people who say they want to get out of there. They won't let them leave. You know, they're basically prisoners there. So things are getting dicey. And there's just a bad, bad feeling going on that results in all of a sudden one of the followers stabbing the congressman. And it's just something's about to happen. Violence is starting. People want to get out of there. People are saying, all right, let's just get out of here. And uh, they're going to fill the plane with as many people as they that want to leave. But in the process of filling the plane, now remember, the congressman is already wounded. 
And in the process of filling that plane, a truck arrives with a lot of his followers and they start shooting at the plane, killing a lot of the people in the plane, including the congressman. There were apparently some, when this was all set over, there were some survivors. So at this point, they realized, okay, this is it. At this point, they realized, they realized, yes, well, this is it. There's no going back now. So as the plane is sitting on the tarmac with a lot of dead people, back in the compound, Jones is telling them, okay, this is it. It's over. They're going to come for us now. They're going to kill us all. They're going to do this to that. The only way we can get out of this is everybody has to drink this. Drink this, drink this. So they start passing around the Kool-Aid. Again, that's where you get that that saying. And they basically force everybody, first the children, the adults, and those who don't want it, they get shot. And hundreds, I don't know, I think it was something like 800 or 800 plus people dead. Few survivors. A few of them weren't there that day. A few of them survived. And that's how this documentary goes. It goes from... Standard, 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 standard to holy crap. It just completely plummets at a certain point where events are happening so fast. So what is the point of this having to do with the election? Well, there is a cult mentality that you get in this particular case around religion. But that cult mentality also exists around political figures. And you do see this now. You do see this mentality, this... This herd mentality, as he said it during one of his ridiculous speeches, where no matter what this person can do, you cannot do wrong. They can, anything they say, the sky is purple. Well, the sky is purple. Pigs can fly. Pigs can fly. That's just a fact of life. You're dealing with people, and I hope it's really not a lot of them, but that are completely, completely brainwashed. Or, I don't know, it's like, you like to think it's just political, you know, your politics are your team and you stick with your team no matter what. You like to think that that's what's going on in their minds. But there is such a lack of education and just plain simple stupidity and gullibility that goes around that some of these people are just feeding on it like you just wouldn't believe now, in my area here, it's the perfect storm. I've talked about this before. Super poor, uneducated. Perfect. They're perfect, perfect for his type of cult-like behavior. Very old, wealthy, towards the end of their lives. Yeah, you got that too. You got the, who cares? I don't care anymore about anything but myself. I'm going to enjoy these last three years of my life kind of attitude. The perfect storm. Now, the irony is that these two groups couldn't be farther away from each other. One group hates the other and the other hates the other. They hate each other. One group thinks they're going to be rich one day then they never will. The other group wants nothing to do with those people. They, they hate them just as much as they hate foreigners, African Americans, homosexuals, you name it. They hate those poor people just as much. But the one thing they have in common is this herd mentality of a demagogue like what we have right now as a leader. It is a amazing, amazing phenomenon that those two groups are unified in that manner. It's a cycle. It's an endless cycle. But 
again, I do see that. You go to, if you watch any footage of rallies or interviews of people, and again, and a lot of them, again, the lack of education, you could kind of point off of it to a lack of education. They just don't understand. They don't know. They don't trust science. These are people that are a step away from being flat earthers, you know, the traditional anti-vaxxers. We never landed on the moon type of people. You know, that's that's what you got. But then it, the saddest thing is when you find people that are somewhat educated and somewhat experienced in the world, and they fall into that trap just as easily. A lot of it is also, you know, a patriarchal relationships of, I do whatever my husband tells me to do. That's my role. My role is to support my husband. So if my husband believes the sky is purple and pigs fly like the president, then that's what I'm going to believe in. You got a lot of that too. Again, in this particular area, you're dealing with a lot of baby boomers, which traditionally they're coming from a period in time where father knows best, leave it to beaver. Hi, honey, I'm home. Where's my dinner? Kind of scenarios. But man, this is a really good one. This was a, a frightening film. I mean, it, it turns into a horror film. When you get to the end, you're in full horror territory. The third film that I would look at is a 1961 film called Judgment at Nuremberg. And obviously, this is very different than what is happening right now. But the basic message in this film, which... This is a film that deals with the aftermath of World War II, the trials of, of German collaborators, German Nazis, and that sort of thing. And it is a fantastic film. I mean, it is a top-notch, you know, acting tour de force, if you will. Top-notch actors. You have Spencer Tracy, Burt Lancaster, Richard Whitmark, Marlena Dietrich, Judy Garland, Maximilian Schell, William Shatner, that's right, the Shat is in this film, and Montgomery Cliff. It is just incredible. It's a courtroom drama. But one of the things that you take away from this film, at least I did, is that because they're trying to make the case for even the most guilty people, to try to provide some sort of defense for what they did or didn't do. I feel that it's it's a very allegorical manner of what happens after this administration finally leaves office in terms of if things go the way I hope they go, that seem to want to go, there's going to be a lot of people that are going to be distancing themselves and pretend. And they, I mean, a few of them are already trying to kind of test the waters on that. But I have a feeling there's going to be a lot of people that are going to pretend that they had nothing to do with this, that they never supported it, that they kind of just went with the flow. The the old famous, we are just following orders defense, which is one of the things about this film that you get to decide on your own too, as you're watching the film, you're like, do you really buy the story that they just kind of went with the flow? that they really had no say in the matter. And that is the, gets you to the crux of the issue of, of what is going on. And that is, can people live past this and just pretend it didn't happen? Not just, I'm not talking about senators or congressmen or, or cabinet members or whatever. I'm talking about 
even regular people, the people you thought you knew, the people that you consider to be your friends, your family, your coworkers, where, wow, you never really suspected, or maybe you did, that they were so, so opposite, you know, with their political views than yours, to the extent where, in some cases, you might have to really examine if it's really worth continuing some of these relationships now that their true feelings have been brought out. Remember, one of the things about this administration, or specifically this candidate, is that the main reason that some people claim that they voted for him is because he says and does the things that they feel. So, it's not really about the candidate. It's about that percentage of the country that feel that way. Are we a country that is 50% teetering on being completely racist, being completely heartless, with lack of empathy, with no respect for women, for hatred, a vile hatred, a guttural hatred and repulsion of foreigners, African-Americans, you name it, anything that's different than what they're used to. Is that what half of our country is? I really hope not. I couldn't imagine what similar country exists or could have existed. Countries that went completely overboard and lost their minds. You kind of say, well, there you go. There's your majority right there. They tipped over the scale. They got to a point where it just exploded and it went downhill. But, you know, how many countries are that close? I'd like to believe we're living in a country where, let's say, 70 or 80% of the people are somewhat reasonable and decent and honest and, and not completely, utterly disgusting. But... What if it's 50-50? What if we're really dealing with 49 versus 51? These elections seem to always hinge on a 1% difference or a 2% difference. And that's what's really frightening is the fact that all of this vile that is out there could be very close to a majority. And that's at the point where you have to decide, all right, is this even worth it? You know, is there a point and reaching out when that's the way people feel. You know, have there been countries, modern countries, and I'm not even talking about going all the way to World War II, but have there been countries where people have gone that far and completely just kind of thrown everything out the window and said to hell with everything? We're just going to plow our way through this. I, I don't know. And this movie is is one of these movies where you get to examine, like I said, the aftermath. And you have to say, all right, whose fault was it really? And is anybody really capable of putting up a defense or an excuse for what they did or what they allowed to do or what they encouraged to do and what they were responsible for by voting for somebody of this nature? Another film that is very easy to throw in this category, especially for this election, would be the 1976 classic All the President's Men, based on a very successful book, the Woodward and Bernstein film, chronicling the investigation into the Watergate scandal with Nixon and how 
that was the crux of how everything basically started unraveling around him to the point where he had to or decided to uh, resign. Again, this is the type of film that most people are aware of, the story, the book, the controversy, the real-life events. It could not be more connected to an administration any more than the current administration. The amount of people indicted so far when Nixon was the bar, the Nixon administration and the illegalities of his law-breaking activities was kind of like what everybody would ever refer to as, here's your example of a corrupt administration. Now it is just incredible how he was just chump change compared to what's happening now in terms of the law-breaking, the amount of people that got indicted, went to jail, all to protect the president, all doing... Uh, their work on behalf of the president, all of them willing to lie and many of them willing to go to jail. Not all of them, a lot of them made deals and became whistleblowers. Biggest difference this time around is that back in Nixon's days, the Republicans were concerned about the effect, the negative effect of allowing Nixon to continue in that function, in that manner, in that law-breaking manner not only for the political party as a whole, the future of the Republican Party, to then be branded as the party of crooks, of grifters, of law-breaking, warmongering individuals uh, that they clearly were becoming back then. And obviously more personal with most politicians, especially conservatives, and that is their own personal self-preservation instincts, uh, wanting to hang on to their jobs and the money that comes from those jobs, the influence that comes from those jobs, the power that comes to those jobs, that kind of got them to a position where they basically put their foot down and said, no, we can't even go along with this. This is so crazy that, you know, you have those alleged morals where they you could say well they looked beyond what the president was doing and decided it wasn't worth it decided it was against the country yet's what you wish they acted on and that was based on their decision but most likely it was a self-preservation mode of this is going to hurt our party down the line this is going to cause such a backlash for our ability to hold on to power and Also, just equally, like I said before, self-preservation, their jobs. They did not want to lose their jobs and remain in power. Thereby, them getting to a point where the allegations were coming in fast and furious. The proof was just all over the place. The reporting by Woodward and Bernstein was so spot on. The things that they were being able to find through their investigations, that they said, all right, that's enough. We had enough of this, which resulted in Nixon understanding he was not going to get backed. He's not. He knew he wasn't going to get support. And it was kind of quietly decided, you know what, this might be a good time to resign. And that's what ended up happening. With the story of this historical event, I mean, this is a, just a fantastic film and book that you should definitely read and 
ironically enough, some of these characters are playing a similar role these days with the current administration. But the current administration, the amount of illegalities that are taking place are just off the charts. Nixon is a choir boy compared to what's happening now. Biggest difference is that the Republicans are going for broke. They no longer care about the impact of his actions on the party. They no longer care about their jobs. This is a suicide cult, as I like to call it. It's all or nothing. They're driving that car off the cliff and they're taking everybody with them, not only politically, as far as their jobs, and with the COVID situation, as far as their lives. They are willing to take everybody down with them and go down in a suicidal flames of glory in the manner that this is happening. At one point, it was speculated that come September, they might have to make that decision. Well, it sounds like the decision that they made was to go for broke, go all the way and take it all down in the process. Excellent film, but like I said, it's an easy one. This one is the easy one to kind of throw in the mix. Couldn't throw it in the first time when I did this movie compilation uh, list uh, because you don't have the background. You have the perceived background of what we knew of the president from before he was president, before, you know, when he was a businessman and all the shady deals he was doing back then, but he didn't have the full presidential illegalities that he now surrounds himself. Like I said, the amount of people that have been indicted, it is just unbelievable. You, I don't think you can put together the last 30 or 40 years worth of presidents and it would not equal to the amount of people that have been indicted or have gone to jail when you compare to what this man has done so far. And like I mentioned, it repeats itself. Woodward um, has put out a book very recently where he has audio tapes. Again, back to the audio tapes, the famous audio tapes. But this time he has audio tapes of the president admitting how dangerous, how contagious, how damaging to children this kind of virus could be all the way back and now just basically denying it all and everybody on his side ignoring it all even though it's there on tape for everybody to listen to a very different outcome a very different reaction back in Nixon's days this would have been another nail in the coffin for a president but now it just becomes Another lie to add, you know, to this layer of unbelievable collection of misstatements and lies that continue to come out. And his political supporters and his voters are willing to accept. When he said he could probably shoot somebody in the middle of Fifth Avenue and get away with it and would not lose one supporter, he was absolutely right. Our final film is a doozy. It's called The Birth of a Nation. Now, this is a very important film for many reasons. First of all, it's a D.W. Griffith extravaganza, if you will. The year is 1915. This is credited as one of the best examples of a historical blockbuster, more or less, in terms of it gets the credit for developing a lot of the techniques that were later put into effect by many other uh, filmmakers, editing techniques and shooting techniques and you name it, 
all things having to do with the craft of filmmaking. Now, this is a period, obviously, where we're talking about black and white, silent films. And the general theme of this film is basically a civil war and post-civil war environment of how the country did during that period of time. And obviously, I'm tippy-toeing right now around the major issue of this film. The film runs over three hours long. It's like a, it's like three and a quarter hours. And it is really, really a long thing to get to. It might take you a couple of days <laughs> to sit through this thing. But there are many abridged versions of the film. You could watch uh, specifically movie reviews of it that try to go through some of the major points of this film. But what is most important about this film is the fact that while they are telling you a story, a historical story, it is one of the most racist pieces of film that exists in the history of American filmmaking. There are so many scenes in the film where African Americans are portrayed in such a negative manner. And the director really doesn't make any excuses for the way he feels. Historically, from what I understand, the guy was a full-blown racist. And you could say, well, that was a different time. Yes, I understand the that was a different time. Things were different back then. I get that argument. I mean, I get that because there are people who still hide behind that argument uh, when they act in, in a very vile, racist manner. And they still kind of chalk it off to a different time, whether the different time was 20 years ago or 40 years ago, or in case of this movie, 105 years ago. But basically, when this film, what you have is the Southern version of how the introduction of blacks into the continent was really a bad thing, not because slavery was bad, but because eventually you will most likely have to give these people the right to vote and the right to marry, and the right to intermingle with whites. And that was something that was found completely, utterly unacceptable. That was the destruction of modern, you know, at the time, America and the future of the country. Off the bat, a lot of weird things you'll notice about this, and this is something that's historically very accurate because that's what they used to do back then. Uh, for some of these black and white films, older silent films, you'll notice that a lot of the black actors are played by white people in blackface. Now, the theme or the history or the reasons for blackface is another world altogether entirely. You would have to really look into that. And, and I did a little bit. I, I looked at some documentaries about what's the big deal? Why is it so offensive? And how did it start? And what was the point? And what was the purpose? And how come people still get in trouble these days for doing something like that? Where some people on the opposite end of the aisle don't find it that offensive. And they kind of still do it every now and then. And they just don't see what the big deal is. But anyway, in this film, again, you're going to see a lot of very racist depictions of blacks. Obviously, like I said before, the actors are in blackface, but there are real African-Americans sometimes in the background. And I tried looking up and trying to figure out why did they mix back and forth? Why did they go back and forth? Or why did they combine 
white actors and black actors, but the black actors are never the ones in the forefront. And that's, again, that's all part of that whole racism is the fact that they're using blacks to sprinkle the background, but they're using whites in the foreground in blackface because those were the real actors. At the time, blacks were basically not pretty much allowed to have those kind of jobs. They weren't allowed to be the actor, the lead, for crying out loud. Especially in a movie like this, where one of the typical tropes they would throw out there was how the blacks were basically drooling and salivating over the white women, and they were just waiting for their turn to be able to rape them or something. So not only is it incredibly offensive how they're portrayed, you know, in terms of how they relate to white women. There's an overall ongoing theme that they're just waiting to rape somebody, plain and simple. But that is also part of the reason why they couldn't have black actors playing that character because they didn't want actual real African-Americans interacting (laughs) or even pretending to be that person who is drooling over a white woman. So there are so many levels of racism going on here, whether it's pretend, real, or insinuated, or whatever, that it's just layered upon layer upon layer. They have a sequence here where blacks are allowed to go into the, um, I guess, like the, the Senate or the Congress or whatever political institution is there for that particular state. And the majority of them are black because it's the post-Civil War era. And all of a sudden, they're, you know, misbehaving and they have a they have a guy eating fried chicken, basically, or a piece of chicken. And there's another guy who takes his shoes off. And there's another guy who's drinking booze. And they really, really try their hardest, their gosh darn hardest, to portray blacks as superstitious and lazy, you know, all of the stereotypical tropes that you can think of that have prevailed for the longest time. I mean, this didn't start in the 60s. This started way, way earlier than that. It's all in this film. It is just unbelievable how out in the open it is. Going back to the issue of um, of trying to create a villain, the villain in this film is anybody who's either black or mulatto. They do make a, a point earlier in the film that there's this uh, mulatto woman who is trying to seduce, you know, this guy. And it's all part of that because of what she is. And that's what they do. You know, it's really, really uh, disturbing to watch this and everything just kind of goes along with it and it's like wow this is a film that was completely completely you know on the nose uh, as far as how people just said like yeah this is fine this is fine and i know historically i think the uh, the NAACP even back then in its infancy had a big big issue with this movie on the other hand one of the reasons why this movie became so popular and, and it's so consider historical is the fact that it it does have a Somewhere in the promotion of the film, there's a quote from the president, President Wilson of the time, raving about how much, how important, how wonderful this film is. So, granted, depends on who you talk to. There are some some other points of view that say that he never said that. However, I believe it's on the film itself that they were able to use that quote. The way that you use, you know, that you have like reviewers uh, put on a review of a poster, you know, on the poster itself. Though that's what they did back then. So it is possible that they had to kind of walk back those comments after they realized that 
little by little, the film started to get negative publicity, you know, over time. And it wasn't a complete success. Even though, I mean, don't get me wrong, it made a ton of money. For its time, it made a ton of money. There's a sequence in the film where they talk about how, you know, the slaves, you know, they used to get a two-hour break every day where they could have their lunch. And they show them that they're just sitting there eating something. And then when the white masters come by, they all start dancing and they're all happy. And they kind of continue that myth that slaves were just happy individuals and they loved what they did, their work. They loved what they were doing. You know, we talked a little about this with when we were talking about Song of the South. Keep in mind, Song of the South came way, way later. But that theme of happy slaves, or in in Song of the South's case, happy (laughs) post-slavery, practically slaves, uh, individuals. So, yeah, they were, that that, that was part of this myth uh, that, that was being propagated all the way back then. That continues to this day every now and then. Some people throwing it out there that way, you know, that wasn't really that bad. There's also a sequence where, um, once again, to accentuate the point that the you know the black men are just trying always to get the white women. There's a a, a black soldier because they have the the black soldiers dressed as um, Union troops, and they're kind of attacking this poor southern town, you know, post post Civil War, and they're fighting and and they're chasing this woman, and the woman uh, goes to the edge of a cliff, and rather to let herself be caught, she jumps to her death off a cliff just so she doesn't get caught and raped by the black soldier. It's a wild, wild scene. But you have to also understand that this movie was based on a book called The Klansmen. And yeah, the heroes of this film are the Klan, the Ku Klux Klan. In this film, there's a battle sequence towards the end where the northern black soldiers are attacking this family in a house and they're almost there in terms of being able to enter the house and they're fighting and fighting and it all seems like it's going to end in in a really bad way and at the last minute the troops come the troops are the clan riding in horses and their white robes in the movie they even make a point of of one of the heroes who discovers the tradition, let's say, of um, he sees a, a couple of white kids hiding under a white robe and a couple of black kids come by and the kids scare them with the, you know, I guess they think they're ghosts or something. And that's where he gets the idea, I guess, of, well, you know what, this this group that I'm going to form, we're going to all wear these white robes. And that's how we're going to beat back those northern blacks. You know, it's like, holy crap. It is unapologetic, and it is completely topsy-turvy in terms of, wow, this is where, again, not a lot of this comes from, but this is where a lot of this gets pushed and distributed and disseminated through the whole country. People don't even know what this is all about. They're taught this by the means of a motion picture, a very popular motion picture. As a matter of fact, records show that Around that time, around 1915, the Klan really wasn't that important anymore. It had kind of receded to almost nothing. There weren't Klan-ish events happening around the country. But with the popularity of this film, all of a sudden, 
the popularity came back. The way that they were dressing themselves, the way that they were acting, the violence that was incited, the the, the lynchings, all that stuff kind of came back around that year. And only five years later, if you look for the pictures or maybe even the footage, is when you have those parades where tens of thousands of clans members were parading up and down Washington, D.C. streets. So this is a film that is super, super racist, while at the same time there's an artistic element to this film that, you know, film aficionados kind of gravitate towards. But it's almost impossible, I think, to separate the two. You cannot have one without the other. This is a film that you cannot just examine one side and ignore the other side. You can't just say this is an artistic achievement, but on the other side, you have a complete and utter instruction manual on racism in America. It's right there. It's in black and white, no pun intended. Again, another um, very iconic sequence, because this is a silent film, all you have is music to go by. Well, the the climactic battle at the end where the, the clan comes to the rescue of those poor white Southerners, the music that they use is Wagner's Ride of the Valkyries. Again, a very, very famous musical composition. Uh, if you guys remember Apocalypse Now, when the helicopters attack, that's the music they're playing. I wonder if it was anything to do with this film, you know, being Coppola and everything and, you know, trying to be uh, artistic and, 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 you know, film historian and that kind of thing. But uh, so what does this have to do with, with the election? Well, one of the centerpieces of the administration's, what's the opposite of an accomplishment? Uh, failure, I guess is the word I'm looking for, failure, it has to do obviously with race relations, the mess that stemmed out of the George Floyd killing and all those subsequent events that took place that resulted in so many protests and so much of that sort of thing, where you would feel that a normal human being would try to defuse that situation. But in the case of this particular individual, trying to turn negatives into positives, figured out a way, I would say unsuccessfully, thought that he had a way of turning racial riots in his favor. Uh, So in other words, make things worse. You keep hearing the term pouring gasoline on the fire, making things worse, inciting riots, inciting violence. Part of the strategy seems to be, and again, we can't go deep into this because you just got to put on the news and watch. It's just there waiting for you. But part of the strategy is violence, is the possibility of an armed conflict resulting with the pre and post election period that we're heading into in a couple of days. We just had a, an incident uh, in, in Wisconsin where Militias were getting ready to kidnap and possibly kill the governor there. Again, this is all white supremacy kind of stuff. This is all, you know, the ABCs of this type of language is in this film. This is there. It's been here forever. It's it's, it's going to continue, unfortunately, to be here for a long time. This is a, something that gets passed down from from family to family. It's just amazing that this still continues. And it's also amazing how easy it is to manipulate people and to feed them the proper 
cues and the proper lines and forget about dog whistles. This, we're not in a dog whistle kind of territory anymore. This is just shouting with a megaphone. You know, these instructions and these hints and these code words, if you will, of appealing, trying to appeal, trying to court a certain voter that normally even the most opposite uh, conservatives, I would imagine, would publicly, and I'm saying publicly, believe it would be repugnant to court that vote. Behind closed doors, it's a whole other matter. Don't get me wrong. Like I said before, it's not the person. It's the people. The people are there. These thoughts are there. They're there behind closed doors, except that now the door is wide open and they're not ashamed of it anymore. They are out and proud to be associated with and to react to this kind of red meat that they are being fed during these political times, this this election. So, uh, birth of a nation, yeah, that's a that's a that's a big one, and you really cannot understand, you know, how could this be acceptable? How could how could it work? But there it is. It's right there. It's it's out in the open. And again, you can do the, your own research. You can look this up. Things like the history of blackface. I saw this this docu this this piece they did. I think it was CBS Morning News or something. One of those Sunday shows. They did a whole piece on it back when Megyn Kelly got in trouble for saying something about how blackface is not really that bad. You know that kind of one of those situations. And they went into the history of it. And it's amazing how long it's been uh, going on even before Birth of a Nation, the, the minstrel shows and that kind of stuff. All you know, all the way to even around this time, even the 30s, where you have like the uh, the Little Rascal uh, shorts where there's a lot of borderline like racist kind of stuff where it's like, oh my God, that's exactly what they're doing. They're doing these kind of things that are completely unacceptable these days. But it's it's very interesting how these things last for such a long time and they're either ignored or put away and nobody really thinks about it. The only one extra thing that I would throw here as a bonus or as a uh, honorable mention, if you will, and it's um, I'm going to kind of cheat and say, yes, it's a movie, but it's also a television show. And there's the movie The Handmaid's Tale that has a, a film that came out many years ago, but on one of the streaming services, you have the actual show that takes the story and obviously expands it way, way um, in much more detail. And, you know, you are dealing with a society that has gone completely into a religious theocracy, uh, precisely the type of thing that we are frightened of, of the Middle East and how they kind of run their lives in a lot of these countries. That's exactly what happens in this story, where due to some manipulated tragic events, the country goes in that direction. And next thing you know, women are property, more or less, and just basically uh, vessels for reproduction. And a whole bunch of horrific things in the way that women are treated. Again, as horrific as it is portrayed, there are elements in this country that kind of go in that direction. You hear it currently with the uh, Supreme Court nominees and the dangers of some of their affiliations with certain groups that, you know, you do start to hear like some of these particular groups that are being courted, that traditionally have been courted. And 
some of those fringe, more fringe groups that are included are groups that believe, yeah, that, you know, women should uh, really shouldn't have a right to vote. They should, uh, you know, the, the one I, there was one person talking about, there was an actual woman talking about how she feels that there should be uh, one vote per family. And obviously the man is the one who should choose that that vote. Uh, you know, the, the woman doesn't really have a right to vote. It should be a, fam- a family vote uh, when it comes to elections and that sort of thing. Super crazy anti-feminist kind of stuff. Which doesn't end. It's 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 been around for a long time, and you know it's part of that that you know the slogan of, of going back, uh, you know, of this particular uh, presidential individual, you know, of kind of going back to the fifties, going back to an easier time, a time where you didn't have to worry about those things, where you came home and things were just there waiting for you, and you didn't have to worry about your wife being at work and that kind of thing. It is a pretty frightening, scary scenario as far as I'm concerned. But with that show, like I said, it, it's, it's, a, it's a really good show. I believe it's in its second or third season at this point. I'm not entirely sure. But again, I give that one honorable mention. So you have plenty of films here that you could kind of take a look at to see if they kind of speak to you. And if you can relate to these films in what you see in the news. So... Here we go again. We are days away. And depending on when you listen to this, we might be days after our most recent presidential election. You kind of know, if you listened to me before, which political direction I lean towards. This is, as I promised, uh, one of the very political shows that or we do. And this is that time. This is the time where we do get super political and... Luckily, you know, for genre geeks who are, you know, into films and all kinds of media like that, but specifically in this particular case, we're really focusing on films. Uh, you have a whole bunch of films we looked at last time, and now you got a whole mess of new ones uh, to add to that list. Let's just hope, at least from my perspective, that I don't have to do another one of these shows. The type of show that connects so vividly the things that are happening politically right now in this country with films that we've seen before that for more or less reasons we hope, unless it's a documentary, of course, that these are fictional things that we could perceive that could happen, but they really don't happen. But in this case, my God, are these things, it's that old uh, saying of, is it art imitating life or is this life imitating art? All right, I hope you guys enjoyed today's show. We've gone through a whole bunch of new movies. We talked a little bit about the older ones, the ones we talked about four years ago, and then we hit the new ones. And yeah, this was, you know, I did warn you guys this was going to be a political one. If you're easily offended by bringing up the subject of politics, this was not the show for you. (laughs) That's why I warned everybody ahead of time during our open. This is one of those times where, you know, I just have to put it all out there and and give you my opinion on politics and how these films specifically connect to the things that I see happening over the last four years and happening today. And hopefully there will be some kind of light at the end of this tunnel. Uh, We thought we saw one last time. We didn't. It wasn't a it wasn't a light it was a train coming at us basically last time we saw the light at the end of the tunnel. This time we're gonna hope for the best and 
We will return next week with a more regular show. Obviously, we're going to put the politics away and get back to a normal kind of nerdy, geeky show that you guys are used to. So on behalf of everybody, thank you guys for listening, and we'll see you here soon at GeekFest Rants. Bye-bye, everybody. Nobody joins a cult. Nobody joins something they think is going to hurt them. You join a religious organization, you join a political movement, and you join with people that you really like. I think the early 60s had been a time of great optimism. The message of People's Temple was, no, the dream is alive. Who's going to decide who and when a person's going to die? We must never allow that because this is the kind of thing that ushers in the terror of a Hitler's Germany. What I saw recreation as being was building a city where we could move and raise our children outside of the oppression and the racism of the United States of America. He said, this punch is going to be passed out to everybody here, and we will all die right here in the church together as one. It was just fucking slaughter. They were fucking slaughter. We did not want this kind of ending. We wanted to live, to shine, to bring light to a world that is dying for a little bit of love. If you would like to subscribe to our show, send us messages, or see video links to some of the topics we talked about today, please visit our homepage at geekfestrants.com or our YouTube channel, Facebook page, or iTunes at Geekfest Rants. I don't know what we're yelling about! Geekfest Rants is produced by Carlos Perone, copyright 2020. <laughs>